watch this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxton, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Jane Sweeten. Jane, looking forward to talking, talking all things sport in Salford. Yeah, most definitely, Rob. We've got a fantastic weekend of sports to look forward to, and I can't wait to break it down with you and Paul on the Sports Zone. Yeah, also joined, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil of Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking, talking all things rugby league. Yeah, certainly am, Rob. Certainly am. It's, uh, it seems quite a while away yet, the season, but there's a lot happening, isn't there, at Salford, uh, Salford Red Devil. So I'm uh, sure we'll be able to break it all down on the next uh, next show. Yeah, so what we'll do, we'll start with the Rugby League, Paul, and the Salford Red Devils. They announced a new signing, Shane Wright, um, from Australia. Can you tell us a bit about him? Yeah, I can do. Yeah, he's, uh, I think he's 25, he's six foot two. He Playing for the, the North Queensland Cowboys, he's quite an established player in the in the NRL for for the Cowboys, and you know uh, a no nonsense sort of player. I think by the, the sounds of it, hard worker, grafter, good defender, and um, I think that's what you you're looking for, aren't you? I mean, I wouldn't say he's a household name in Australia or a star name, but you know, for a club like Salford, we're looking for hundred percent, you know, hundred percent work raters, and you know, people who are going to put the heart and soul into things, and. You know, we're a bit light on the pack. We've lost quite a few players, lost a few forwards, haven't we? Um, so I think he'll be a great addition to the side. He's got a bit of experience there as well, and uh, you know, played a, you know a fair amount of games in the in the NRL competition. So I think he's going to bring a lot to the table. Is he the kind of player that Salford need? Obviously, going into this season, uh, Paul, because obviously last season uh, we had a good set of forwards, uh, didn't quite get the results we wanted. But do you think he's going to take us to that next level? Yeah, well, we needed to um, we needed to replace some of the ones that we've lost. Like I said, you know, you've got Big Seb who's gone back to Woodersfield. I think we've lost Oliver Roberts as well. I mean, he's gone back. Has he gone back to Woodersfield as well? I think he has. Um, so we have lost a few players there. So it's it's imperative that you replace them. So you know, you need a good pack of forwards, don't you? And you know, at six foot two, like I said, and he's he's a big man, and he's only fairly young as well at twenty five. So. He, you know he's still got the peak of his his career to play. So if he's coming over here for the right reasons to 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 prove things, and you could be signing a really good player there. We've had some good overseas forwards over the over the years, and uh, I'm sure he'll he'll do the business for us. So we definitely need to strengthen that pack, don't we? You know uh, it's it's vital that you've got a decent pack at the start of the season. You know injuries happen, don't they? And you need to have players there and bodies in there. So he, he was one that we need to bring in to strengthen. And you know I think he's he's one of, of a few. Rob, I don't think he'll be the last signing made for the season, but I think he's an he's an exciting signing. He's a, he's a guy that's coming over at 25, as I said. He's got a lot to prove, and, and he'll want to come over here and play well. And you know, you know, get a, a longer contract with Salford or, or whatever he wants to do with the rest of his career. So. Um, He's not a guy who's at the end of his career. He's a guy who's coming in the prime, really. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. He comes with a good reputation as well. Looking at all the signings we've had so far, Paul, who stands out most for you? Um, well, we've not signed a big, a, a huge amount of signings, have we? But I think the Ryan Briley signing was uh, was was a good one. I think you know Ryan's another player who's at a, sort of a crossroads in his career now. He's it's a do or die situation for him now. I mean, he's never really proved himself at Super League level. Um, and he's he's got the opportunity now with Salford, so he's got to take that with both hands because he's not getting any younger. So I think it's a, that's a big sign in that, and he's you know he's a Salford supporter as well, you know in, in his in his youth days. So I think that's a, that's an emotional signing for us. So I think I think Ryan Braille is well, good support player. I think he could if he gets it right and his coach right and plays in the right position. I think he can be a, be a really good signing, Ryan Braille. We've also got the young lad that's coming from from Wigan as well, the the young hooker, uh, Amir Burra. I think he'll he'll be a good player as well. So 
So, uh, and the Brodie Croft signing, you know, Brodie Croft is coming over with it with a good reputation from from Brisbane Broncos, and you know that's an exciting signing for us. So, I think that probably the Croft one just edges it for me because you know a halfback is is somebody you can build a side round, and when you do sign a halfback, you're, you're always an, you know anticipating to see what he can do because he's going to be a match winner on the field. So, no disrespect to the other players like 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 Shane Wright that's coming, but Brodie Croft is going to be that pivot and that that sort of playmaker. So uh, he's the one that you're going to build your team around. So I'm really excited to see what he can do. You know, we've had some good halfbacks over the years at Salford. I mean, you know, you think back a few years ago, we had Jackson Hastings there and had Robert Louis there. We've had two here there, amongst others. So uh, Brodie Croft is going to be, be a good one to watch for us. Yeah, obviously we've got the new coach coming in. We don't want to talk about it this week. We're going to talk about it next week on, on the Sports Zone uh, to keep you all tuning in uh, for all, all the big stories. But obviously I think it's important we were able to strengthen the squad, Paul, because obviously last season, we had a, a strong uh, starting 17, but we weren't able to find the depth. So I think it's important, obviously, the new coach, when he comes in, uh, to, to be able to get that depth. Because, we you know, with COVID and injuries and things like that, you'll need it. Yeah, I think last season, on paper, the starting 17 was was as, you know, as good as quite a lot of the sides in the, in the table. I think you, you'd have said, yeah, it's as good as, you know, to finish in that top six. I, I thought it was anyway, but we never really got a consistent run of matches where we could put that 17 out um, and you had players injured, players suspended and things started to unravel a bit, didn't they? So, you know, look at the Callum Watkins situation. He, he was injured and, and out for a, for a hell of a long time, wasn't he? And he's a, he's a top and You had Dan Sides who had God knows how many suspensions and, and, and what have you. So, uh, so yeah, it was difficult. It was difficult for Colt Richard Marshall last season to to get that, that that spine sorted. And we had to change the spine around numerous times, didn't we, for different things. You had to play different players at half-back. And, yeah, for the new coach coming in, he definitely needs to, to hit the ground running, he needs to find out what his, what his spine is straight away and, and how, how it's going to work and who, who, who wants to play where. So we've got the potential, Rob. We've, got, we've still got some good players left at the club from last season. We're adding to that now, like the signings we've just mentioned. So, And I'm sure there'll be a few more to come. So I don't think it's um, it's a time to be too downbeat. I think last season, yeah, it was a bit disappointing, but I think there's, there's plenty to look forward to this season. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough season. I saw the odds the other day and you know, the bookmakers have sort of got us in Wakefield and Toronto, you know, as, as rank outsiders, really. So we've got to prove them wrong, and I'm sure we can. We've got to make our home ground a fortress, as we've said before. We've got to make the AJ Bell a difficult place to come for teams, and we've got to make sure that we're in arm wrestles and we're competing every week. And if we can do that, I think we'll be okay. Talking about talking about home uh, fixtures, Paul. There's a fans forum on the fourth of November regarding the uh, the move, uh, the possible move to Moor Lane from the AJ Bell. Uh, a lot of press about the Salford City and Sale kind of coming in together to move into the AJ Bell. I think it's kind of important, obviously, Sale fans get get themselves down to the fans forum for an update on the situation because it's important that Salford have uh, a good, secure home for the future. Yeah, I believe there was something said in the press last last week or so. So uh, I I didn't really see anything. I was a bit busy, so I sort of had me uh, me head down and sort of saw some tweets and some things mentioned. I thought, oh, what's been going on? But no, I've had a bit going on in in my personal life, so I sort of kept away from it. Really, I didn't stress myself out even more. But yeah, of course it is. Of course, it is. it's important that we get our our home and our future sorted, wherever that may be, whether that's the AGA Bell, whether it's more lame, whether, you know, I don't know where it's going to be. Um, but it's important that the, the Salford supporters and the season ticket holders, you know, stick with the, the club because at the end of the day, a, a ground is important, but it's the club that's more important than that. I mean, 
if Salva played on the on the moon, you know, you'd go and watch him. You know, they had supporters would go and watch him while they would do the best to get there, wouldn't they? So I don't think it makes a right lot of difference from a supporter's point of view. He shouldn't do anyway. I mean, yeah, obviously you want the best for your club, but whatever it will be, mate, it will be. There's, as a as a supporter, there's not much you can do. You can't dictate, you know, the the sort of um, the political constraints of things, can you? And and, and grounds and, and and what happens there, you can't. And the financial sort of thing, you can only turn up and buy your tickets and support your team. So that's that'll be my advice to support. Just keep just keep behind the club and you know get down to the fans forum if you can and, and get your point across and and and, and take all the information in. But the people who are running the club at the moment, I'm sure, are going to do the best by Salford and and try and get the best deal for for our club to make sure that we are safe for the next hundred years or so. Yeah, as long as the deal is better than the one, the one we've got, the AJ Bell now, Paul, I'm happy with it. I think we need to be able to have an income at Salford. We need to be able to generate our own money. Uh, Paul King, our first owner in a long time, that's like the adult in the room, isn't wanting to mortgage uh, the future on uh, the current climate. On Salford, he wants to be able to build a team within its own restrictions of, of finances, but put a strong team out and also have a strong community feel to it. I think it's important, obviously, the people of Salford who are listening to this want to go down to the uh, the fans' forum, get down there and voice their opinion because, obviously, he will be putting forward different options which are on the table um, and, we, and obviously us fans need to know uh, what they are and how to react to them because obviously like Paul said we need to make sure that we support the club 100% uh, yeah if you do end up going to Moor Lane uh, then you've still got to go and watch do not turn your back on them uh, and not go because obviously our other side Swinton Lions famously left Station Road uh, and and moved to is it Bury, I think and it didn't quite work out for them Paul well, no, and that was a long time ago as well, Rob. Now you're probably getting, talking on almost 30 years ago when Swinton left the, left M27, didn't it, to go over to the various stadiums that they played at. And it's been difficult for them, and credit to them and the people at the at Swinton Lions who've kept the club going over the years. They've had you know real battles. I mean, it's been difficult for Salford, but you look at Swinton, they've probably done it a lot tougher than what we've done. So, mm. so yeah, of course it is. People, at the end of the day, you know, if the public of Salford don't get behind the team, then you know what's going to happen to the club. We we could I don't know. It, it doesn't bear thinking about. But you know if you want a club in Salford, you've got to get behind it. You can't just just sit there on your armchair and you want in about nineteen sixty nine and things like that and the seven, the glory days of the seventies. I mean you're never going to see them again if you don't get behind the club. So yeah, that that'd be my advice to people. Get down there. I mean you hear all sorts of people on social media moaning on about you know this rumor and that rumor. But the the best way to find things out is not doing rumours, not doing armchair stuff, get yourself down there and, and hit, listen to the facts. You know, it's the facts that you need to listen to and then, you know, you make your decision of how you want to support the club. But it's difficult. It's a difficult climate at the moment, Rob, you know, the way things have gone and COVID and, you know, people talk about recessions and things like that. There's not a lot of money floating about these days, is there? Particularly not in sport, anyway, at sort of Salford's level. So it's very, very important that we all stick together and just keep doing our best for the club. And like you said there, Paul King and the rest of the people who are, who are, who are steering the club forward, they're doing a great job, but they just need our support. And hopefully we'll find something out at this fans forum and, and we'll, we'll know which is going to be our best foot going forward. 
Yeah, looking forward to the 2022 season, Paul. There's been a few rule changes. Scrums have returned uh, to the game. Uh, there's also a, a kind of amendment to any one-on-one ball steals. Um, they're not going for more of the NRL style uh, where there can only be one person involved in, in the tackle. And also injury, injured players um, have to get off the pitch when I think they think there's a lot of showmanship going on where people lay on the ground for longer than they should do. I think it's important... Uh, with a scrum return, and we have to we have to think obviously with COVID, kind of changes the game again. As the game got better without them, that's a big question. No, I don't think so. No? I think I think yeah, I think you've got to have scrums, Rob. I think if you're gonna if you're worrying about COVID, you shouldn't be playing the game because what is it? What happens when like the whole they're all good jumping, having fights with each other, and all sorts. You see that all the time. So I don't think I think that's an excuse that about the the scrums with COVID. I think it's a load of rubbish. Um, regarding scrums, I think I think you've got to do. I think it, it makes the game too sanitized when you sort of starting from a certain point. It's like a tap and things like that. You lose out on all sorts of set moves and broken play with with, with scrums and. It just makes the game, for me, a lot more entertaining. I mean, how many great tries have you seen from a set move or a kick-through or something like that? It just breaks the game up, I think. It's too regimented when you're starting from a certain sort of standing position, you know, taking a tap. So I'm glad to see the scrums coming back. And just regarding what you were saying there about the the ball steals and things like that, if you look at the NRL, I mean, I know we talk about the NRL, it's a fabulous competition and people say, oh, it's better than the British game and this, that and the other. But I'm not sure it's better than the British game. I think it's faster and I think it's it's tougher all round, but it's cleaner. It's a lot cleaner around the rook. You don't see the, the messing around at the play of the ball and hands in at the play of the ball. One thing that's done my head in over the last few years, particularly this season, is the play of the ball. The amount of people who don't play the ball properly, it's just put the rules of rugby league are when you're playing the ball, you put your foot on the ball and play it. I mean, if you went through every game, you could penalise nearly every tackle. I mean, referees do sometimes, don't they? They'll, they'll, I think there was one in the grand final where they penalised Sam Tompkins, I think it was, at Catalans and St. Helens for not playing the ball properly. But if you wanted to be pedantic, you could do that nearly every tackle. So let's get that cleaned up. Let's get the ball steals cleaned up. And it makes for a better game. It really does. It's better for a spectator when it's a nice, clean rook and the game flows and the game will be quicker as well. So we're not that we want it too quick, but I think, yeah, clean clean that up. Um, as you said before, the, the players feigning injuries and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's scruffy and it's untidy. And we want to see a nice, clean, sort of crisp game, don't we? Nice, clean, crisp passing, nice moves. And, you know, great, great finishes from wingers and stuff like that. We've got a great product in rugby league. Let's, let's keep it great and, you know, just, I think, just tidy it up a bit. Yeah, final bit of sulfur news, uh, Paul. The people who created Monopoly have kind of created a Salford City uh, one with different sort of tourist destinations in the city involved on the board, Paul, and we're part of it. So Red Devils have a square on the board. How exciting is that for you as a fan? Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it the other day, actually, and uh, I, I, wasn't, I didn't know anything about it, to be honest. I was, oh, what's that? I think I saw it on Twitter or something like that. So, yeah, I think it's, he puts the, the, the team on the, the map, I suppose, doesn't it? I mean, how many of those will get sold at Christmas time? It's yeah. like, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? There'll be there's always like a, a game that's sort of the, the big thing, isn't it? At Christmas, I think a few years ago, when I was growing up, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was one. And there's, there's a few others that you can deal or no deal. I remember someone, one of my friends having that. Um, so there's always something like that at Christmas time. And if there's 
so many thousands of those that get sold and people say oh 12 red devils it just gets your name a bit out there doesn't it so it's i'd rather have, have our name on there than not so uh, so yeah it was a surprise though i didn't know anything about that so uh, so yeah salford uh, salford red devils on monopoly very good yeah and salford city radio also feature as well so rush out grab your uh, grab your board game and play on boxing day with the rest of your family um let's talk about swinton lions briefly uh, Paul, Swinton Lions and the support, their supporters trust are attending a Salford Historical Festival. It's on the 30th of October and Stephen Wilde is, is the Swinton representative talking about how um, historic Swinton is, Swinton Rugby League is. And he has a lot of, lot of uh, you know, things to talk about. Yeah, certainly. I have Swinton are, um, aside, steeped in history in rugby league, haven't they, with uh, Challenge Cup wins and, and, and championships as well. And the fantastic side that they had in the in the nineteen sort of early 1960s, in like Kenny Gowers in there, Albert Bland and, and, and people like that. So they had, they've had some great players come through there, some great international players as well. And yeah, they've had a bit of a barren run, haven't they, over the last 30 years since they left the town. But definitely steeped in history, Rob. They've had some great players and, you know, even the old ground station road saw some fantastic matches it was used wasn't it for for many a uh, sort of semi-final and um, you know as a, as a venue for uh, for sides in cup semi-finals and championship finals you know Salford played St. Helens there didn't they in the 1976 premiership final in front of about 20 odd thousand so it's a it's a club with a lot of, an awful lot of history and uh, one that's quite close to my heart you know still being a Salford supporter I've got a lot of time for Swinton and um, know a lot of people there and it's you know it features in, in, in my life quite a bit as well so uh, so yeah it'd be very very interesting that I wouldn't mind attending that myself as well so uh, so yeah Swinton you know, top club you know we we we, we preview them on here, don't we? I'm not so sure the Swinton supporters will, will say nice things about Salford, but you know I've got I've got nothing against Swinton at all, and uh, wish them all the best in everything that they do, and hope they have a good season in 2022. And and yeah, you know me, Rob, I, I love me Anorak stuff and my history stuff, and uh, I, I'd love to uh, to attend that if I can do. Yeah, they've also announced the signing of Dam Abraham. Uh, he's a fullback slash winger. He goal, he, he kicks goals as well, Paul. So he will be an important cog in that uh, Swinton Lions wheel. Yeah, I th- I'm sure his dad used to play. I'm sure his dad used to play for uh, for Lee and, and Rochdale Hornets. I think he coached Rochdale. I can't remember his first name, actually. But, uh, yeah, Dan Abram, I think he's played for Hornets as well. So, yeah, he's a decent player at that level. And, um, you know, they've, they've signed a few players on from, from last season as well, Swinton, haven't they? And kept, uh, kept the spine of the side that they had in the championship. And, you know, dropping down to League One is, is probably disappointing for them. But... I think it's it's a league that they can do do really well in next season. There's still some good sides in that league, but uh, you've got the three Cumbrian sides who've now come up to the championship, and the, the sides in that that league one are, are going to be a test for Swinton. You know, Swinton's going to be the big the big side. You know, the big fish in the pond, aren't they? And other sides are going to be targeting them and looking to get their scalp. But uh, I think if they can have a really good season and you know be consistent, particularly at Haywood Road at their ground there. They can they can challenge for promotion. It could be an exciting season for everybody involved at the club and supporters included. Yeah, final bit of Swinton news, uh, Paul. They've announced they're proudly supporting the Belfast Eagles annual tournament in Belfast. Um, I think it's important, obviously, expanding the game. Uh, Swinton doing the part. <laughs> 
Yeah, certainly. I, I, I love hearing things like that. It is great when, you know, like Salford have got the link up with Ipswich Jets and, and things like that. It just gets your name, you know, banded about in other parts of the world. And yeah, Swinton, perhaps they could get a, a Belfast supporters uh, branch of, of Swinton Lions as well. So uh, I think that's great to hear. And it's exciting stuff, uh, exciting news for Swinton as well, you know, in the build up to the new season. You know, there's the closed season now and people are eagerly awaiting the fixtures to come out, aren't they? So uh, I don't think it'd be too long before they come out and uh, the friendlies will start up near the turn of the year. And, uh, and yeah, good luck to both our local sides. I'm sure we're both in for, uh, I'm going to say successful seasons, because you never know, but exciting seasons uh, for, at, the, at the very least. Yeah, it's the Darsa Cup. It's in 2022, 23rd of July. And uh, I'm sure the more information will come out shortly and we'll be able to tell you all about it. So that's all uh, the rugby chat. Uh, now we're going to be talking uh, ice hockey now, James. Yeah, we most certainly are, Rob. And just to caveat back for a second, I can't wait to pick up my copy of Silver Monopoly. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> but Manchester Storm have got a game coming up this week. And can you tell us about it? Yeah, got three games this week, James. They play Sheffield at home on the Friday. Then they play Sheffield away on the Saturday. And they play Guildford on the Sunday. Three games in a week, James. Obviously, we know Manchester Storm usually play two. So it'll be a tough uh, encounter playing three. Yeah, most certainly will. I mean, the players are going to be tired and there's some tough games ahead. Do you think we'll get results out of them? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, James. Obviously, we we know with ice hockey, it's a tough, brutal sport. And will uh, Manchester Town think about resting players in certain games? We know uh, that, that you know it's all about putting the strongest people on the ice uh, for as long as, as you can. And... You know, they're looking this squad that they've got, which is good. It's got good strength in it. Um, will they be able to be able to sort of put the strongest team out? You look at the Sheffield game in particular, you know, Derby contest, you know, every game against Sheffield matters for the Manchester Storm fans. So I think it's really, really important uh, that, that they keep the strongest team out for them two games. Guildford will be a big test as well. Uh, but if you can get sort of two out of three wins in that run of uh, run of fixtures, you know, Manchester Storm fans will be happy about the direction the club's going at. Obviously, the two, the other two games are big, but Sheffield is the big one for Manchester Storm. And what is your prediction for that, Rob? Yeah, I think I think uh, Ryan Finney's men uh, will come away with a win. I'm thinking they'll beat Sheffield uh, at home by four clear goals. I know it's going to be difficult. I know Sheffield are a good team, uh, but with the crowd behind them uh, at the Ultringham ice rink, the, the Storm Shelter there, you know, there's only one team going to get a get a good win. I know they had a, a bit of a battle with them in the off-season, uh, you know, early in the pre-season friendly. Uh, it didn't quite go Storm's way, but the actual match was quite close, but a bit of a blowout scoreline at the end. So I think uh, the Manchester Storm fans will Faithful will be looking for a return, uh, you know, return to the ice against the Sheffield uh, and win. Uh, and Ryan Finney's men will come away with a, with a victory. What about you? It's a tough game, isn't it? I see Manchester Storm winning it. I think they rise to the occasion in derby days. And I think they'll brush Sheffield aside and continuing what has been a difficult season so far. But I'm still hoping they can turn it around. But Rob, the question I want to ask you is, who has stood out so far this season? Yeah, so far this season, James, there's, there's, there's been a few people that stood out, stood out for me. Um, Tyson Fawcett, he's been the goals uh, so far. We've always said about Manchester Storm, uh, 
you know, up top, not scoring enough goals, but Tyson's doing his bit for for the team. He, he's you scoring some good goals as well. You got Matt Ginn who's in the goal, and I've said before, you know, all good teams have a have a good goalkeeper. That's so important in any sport, especially ice hockey. If you can keep the puck going, you know, stop it going in your goal. You know, you're going to get a couple of goals can can nick a nick a win, and that's important. Obviously, he keeps his form going as well as Dallas Earhart, who's the, who's a Big defender, sort of the uh, the John Teddy of of of, of uh, Manchester Storm. Uh, he's been putting in some good shifts as well. So it's going to be important uh, that Manchester Storm, you know, keep playing well, keep these players fit, because obviously with with ice hockey, you know, being so brutal and playing so many games, you know, so quickly, um, you keep these good players fit, and they'll they'll deliver. Yeah, they will, Rob. And I think you're going to hit me now with some boxing questions for the big fight this weekend. Yeah. So, James, let's talk boxing now. And there was an absolute monster of a heavyweight fight on Saturday night. Break it down for us. Yeah, there absolutely is, Rob. Dillian, the body snatcher white, takes on Otto Wallin. And let's make no bones about it. This is an extremely difficult fight for the Brit. Otto Wallin is a very crafty southpaw. He's coming off a career-best victory against Dominic Brazil in a fight in which he absolutely dismantled the American. And let's not forget, he pushed Tyson Fury very close in a fight which he caused a massive cut on the Gypsy King's eye, and not many men can say they've done that. So, Rob, to put it into perspective, I think... Looking back to last week, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, the Gypsy King completely demolished the Bronze Bomber. And now everybody's excited for this huge domestic fight between Tyson Fury and Dillian White. And we're forgetting that Otto Wallin poses a very real threat. So to get to that fight, Dillian White needs to be on absolutely tip-top form because Wallin is coming. He's got far more technical ability than Dillian White. So White needs to take him into the trenches, make it rough, make it dirty, look to land that massive left hook, look to land those body shots. And if he gets complacent, he'll end up getting beat. So if he wants that fight against Tyson Fury, he's going to have to look for the knockout against Wallin. And I think it has all the ingredients of being an absolutely exceptional fight. What tactics do both men need to use to win the fight, James? As I say, Rob, Dylan White needs to look for the body shots. He needs to slow down Otto Wallin's movement because he moves very, very well on the front foot. I mean, at times he was causing Tyson Fury issues. And if your footwork's good enough to cause Tyson Fury issues, it's definitely good enough to cause Dillian White issues. White at times can... He can be a little bit flat-footed. He's not got the greatest of footwork. And let's be honest, he's not necessarily a natural athlete. But he's a dog. He's a very dangerous man because he's got so much heart and he just knows how to grind out and win a fight. Tyson Fury had to take Wallen into the trenches and he wasn't able to make him quit. So I think Dillian White needs to put even more pressure on top of Wallen and he can't let the Swede pick up his pace. He can't let the Swede find a rhythm because if he does that, he'll begin to outbox Dylan White as he did against Dominic Brazil. So I think Dillian needs to get on him from word go, look to land those heavy shots and intimidate Wallin. Let him know he's there with the power. Let him know he's in with a man who hits harder than anybody stepped in the ring with before. And that for me is how Dylan White gets the fight. But if you're Otto Wallin, you just try and box him on the back foot. You look and exploit holes in Dylan White's technical ability and you've got every chance of winning the fight. I think it's a true 50-50, Rob. If White was to win... Who do you think can pose any problems to Fiore? 
Tyson Fury is a far superior technical boxer to Dillian White. I think everybody knows that. And if he boxes on the back foot, he can most likely beat Dillian White on a punch decision and then maybe stop him late if he starts to load up on those right hands in the second half of the fight. But the Gypsy King has vulnerabilities to left hooks and Dillian White's got a very good one. And similarly to Deontay Wilder, it's one-shot knockout power. Not quite to the same extent as the Bronze Bomber, but it's definitely something to write home about. He hits very, very hard. He also goes to the body very well. And of course, Fury... When he's not coming in the greatest of shape, maybe Dillian White can exploit that. So for me, they're the two major factors that Dillian White has over Fury. And from a mental perspective, years and years ago, they sparred. And I don't think that has much bearing in terms of where they are as fighters now. But there's always demons that can come from those sparring sessions. And most people believe that Dillian White handled Fury quite well in those sessions. They're the rumours that have come out of the camp. So Dillian White could have that advantage over him as well. Why do you think White's opponent is being overlooked? I think it's just name value, Rob. I think British fans haven't seen him fight on primetime over here. His fight with Tyson Fury wasn't the biggest due to the fact that everybody was looking towards the rematch with Deontay Wilder. And I think it just swam under the radar and people didn't really notice it because even those who, who did hear about it didn't watch it because it was two or three in the morning and most casual fans aren't doing that unless it's a super fight with Wilder. So I think people forget about that. His fight with Dominic Brazil, again, was on American prime time, so people don't necessarily know about that. So I think he's just being overlooked for those reasons. I don't think it's because he's not a good fighter, because he is. You don't push Tyson Fury as close as you did. And I think something that's important to notice about that fight is that Otto Wallen cut Tyson Fury bad, very bad. And if it was the other way around, the fight probably would have been stopped. The only reason it wasn't is because the referee knew how good Tyson Fury is and because he was the crowd favourite in Las Vegas. So it shows to me just at the level that Otto Wallen can mix it at. And I'm very surprised of taking this fight, Rob. Very surprised indeed. I thought with a Tyson Fury fight coming up that had gone for an easier matchup, maybe a Charles Martin, a Chris Ariola. And I know they were looking at those names. So to go for Otto Wallin, who poses stylistically many a problem to Dylan White, it just seems like a complete banana skin. But I suppose you have to give Dylan White credit for taking the fight. I suppose when you're pick, picking a big, a sort of a more dangerous fight, does that put you in good stead when you want to play the fight the likes of uh, Tyson Fury? Yeah, definitely. If he gets past Otto Wallin, he's beaten somebody who's way technically better than him. He's beaten a southpaw, and Tyson can often change to southpaw. And he's beaten a good mover. So all those things are fantastic when Dylan White goes in games plans for Tyson Fury because he's experienced them in the ring before. However, you are risking getting beat. Against a Charles Martin or a Chris Ariola, the readily named opponents, the people who he thought he was going to get in the ring with, he'd have beaten them with ease. And then he goes straight into his Tyson Fury fight and he gets $8 million, $7 million for that fight in an absolutely huge pay-per-view. For me, he's risking not getting that paycheck because he could lose to what I want which is, would be a big problem for him, obviously, look, moving forward. Yeah, it would be a very big problem. I mean, I think he's been the WBC number one contender for about six, about 900 days, I think. I think it's been about three years. So if he loses this one, he's right at the back of that queue again. And then he's another three or four years off a title shot. And it just, I mean, Otto Wallen has fought for a lineal world title. <laughs> Andy Ruiz has fought for world titles. Jarrell Miller had a scheduled world title fight. Kubrat Pulev fought for a world title. Alexander Usyk moved up for heavyweight fourth one. Joe Joyce is on the cusp. And it just seems like Dylan White 
has had to wait for such a long period of time, despite the fact that he has wins over the likes of Derek Chisora, over the likes of Joseph Parker, over the likes of Alexander Povetkin and Oscar Imas. I mean, he's got an incredible resume. I mean, the caveat to that and the thing that we look at and contradicts that a little bit is the fact that he has turned down fights in the past. He turned down going to Bulgaria to fight Kubrat Pulev in a final eliminator. He turned down an opportunity to fight Luis Ortiz. And he also turned down seven million to fight Anthony Joshua in what would have been a mega rematch in front of 90,000 fans. So he has got himself to blame in some perspectives. But yeah, to answer your question, Rob, if he loses this, I don't think he'll ever get a world title shot. I suppose, is he in the same boat as Anthony Joshua? Because his recent defeat, would was that put him at the back of the queue as well? Anthony Joshua isn't necessarily at the back of the queue because, one, he's the biggest draw in world boxing currently, but two, he's got a rematch clause with Alexander Usyk. Right. So he's guaranteed to go back into a world title fight. And in a way, Anthony Joshua has had about, what, five years now of fighting in world title fights? Mm-hmm. Dylan White has been at world level for five years and not fought for a world title. He's fought ex-world champions in Parker and Povetkin. He's fought world title contenders in Chisora and in Rivas now he's about to fight for a bridgeweight world title. And you'd imagine that he would have, at some point, fought, uh, fought Joshua again. He'd have fought Parker whilst being a world champion. He'd have got a shot against, Wyatt, uh, uh, against Wilder or Fury, should I say. And it's just not happened for him. It's very bizarre to spend that length of time as a number one contender and not get a shot at a world title belt. So is it more is it more political rather than being in the right place at the right time, do you think? It's difficult. Deontay Wilder, while he was the WBC world champion, never displayed much of an interest to fight in uh, Dillian White, even when it made sense. I think he was offered a $100 million contract to come over, fight Dillian White, and if he'd have won, fight Anthony Joshua, and he turned that down. So I don't think Deontay Wilder was ever interested in fighting uh, Dillian White, and he has been unlucky because at times you felt like the WBC should have mandated that fight. But he's also let himself down, hasn't he? Be turning down two final eliminators and turning down eight million to fight Anthony Joshua. I mean, from your perspective, Rob, not being the biggest boxing fans, being a big casual fan, mm. turning down eight million pounds for a world title fight seems a little bit ridiculous, doesn't it? It does. It does, James. Because obviously, with with, with the money, it's important. But it seems like boxing, it's just telephone numbers. Every fight's worth mega, mega money. So I think for, find the right fight for yourself in your career is probably, is that is that the most important thing for many boxers? That's what, that's what really sort of makes me wonder. Are they going for more about how do I get to my world title or is it more about how much money I can make? It's an interesting question because I suppose in hindsight, it was a very bad decision because Dylan White turned that fight down and then Anthony Joshua lost to Andy Ruiz in that yeah. absolutely massive upset and Dylan White had egg on his face because he was thinking, well, that could have been me. That should have been my shot, but you're the one that turned it down, Dylan. Mm. But at the same time, he was trying to cleverly negotiate his route to a WBC title and you could argue that if he'd have beat Wilder, that rematch and unification with Joshua would have been worth 10 million and he'd have extra bargaining chips to go into that fight for. But for me, Rob, when you're offered a world title fight, you have to accept it. So prediction times, time, James, who wins this one? I think Dillian White comes from behind to beat Otto Wallin. Wallin is going to muddle him about. He's going to be the far superior boxer. I think around about round five or six, we'll be thinking, is Dillian White bit off more than he can chew? Is he going to let it all go wrong? He's got to lose this fight against the Gypsy King. He's waited years 
for a potential opportunity and it's not going to happen. But then I think he'll get on top. He'll begin to bully the Swede. And I think he gets a narrow, very narrow points decision. I'm looking at 115, 113, a very close fight. Dylan White just getting the edge. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if Wallen completely outclassed him from a technical perspective and ran away with it. You just don't know. It's that sort of fight, Rob. Lucas Brown's got a big fight on the bill, uh, but it's been he had a big fight on the bill, but it's been cancelled. Are you disappointed about that? No, I'm not, Rob. Uh, Lucas Brown was meant to be flying over from Australia to take on Alan the Savage Babich. And for those who don't know, Alan the Savage Babich is a ruthless fighter, swings in big shots. He had a great amateur career out in Croatia. And it's looking like he can advance potentially towards even as high as European level. He's very aggressive and he always looks for that knockout. Lucas Brown, if you remember rightly, Rob, is coming off a first-round knockout defeat to a rugby player in Paul Gallen. Mm. So somebody like that should not be getting in the ring with people at European level. Because I know, of course, you'll have a great deal of respect for Gallen for what he did on the rugby field, but he's not a massive name in the world of boxing. No. And if you're losing to him in the first round, you should not be getting in at European level. And as good as Lucas Brown was in his prime that night when he beat Ruslan Shagiev and became a world champion, it was evident in fights against Dave Allen and in fights against Paul Gallen, that he's way, way, way past his best and has absolutely no right of getting in the ring with Alan Babich. Because I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, I'd be shocked if it made it to the 32nd mark. Because mm. the way Alan Babich fights, it's ruthless aggressive. He swings big bombs. Lucas Brown is slow, doesn't have much of a defence anymore. Even that amazing power that he always displayed in his heyday, it seems to have vanished. So he would have got knocked out in the first round again. It would have been another embarrassing night. I mean, he's, he's getting knocked out regularly now. It would have been a night that would have had a huge impact on his physical health. I mean, you can't take too many beatings without it having an impact, Rob. And overall, I think people need to start looking at the health of the man from a family perspective. I mean, these promoters see him as a fantastic factor to bring over so your prospect can get a big win against the former world champion. And for me, Lucas Brown wouldn't have had much of a chance, so I'm glad it's been called off. At the time of the recording of this show, Alan Babich hasn't had an opponent announced. I know that Dave Allen has thrown his hat in the mix, and if that fight goes down, I would be almost equally disappointed because Dave Allen retired because he was struggling in sparring. So I hope that fight doesn't happen either. And if it has been arranged, I'll be deeply disappointed. So that's all the boxing chat, James. And I want to talk uh, UFC now. And UFC 267 goes uh, goes ahead this weekend. Uh, break us down the main event. Yeah, yeah. Great fight between Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira. Jan has been looking fantastic as of late. His Polish power has been absolutely exceptional. He's been laying people out flat. Of course, he knocked out Luke Rockhold. And then he beat Dominic Reyes in a huge upset. Then he takes on Israel Adestanya, the style bender, who's been absolutely superb. One of the quickest rising stars in the world of the UFC, the middleweight world champion. Everybody expected him to go up a weight class and outclass Jan Blachowicz, but it wasn't to be. And the Polishman showed his class, not just his power. People thought if he was going to win that fight, that he'd do it with his knockout power, with that massive left hand of his. But he showed extra layers to his game. He showed that he's a great octagon thinker, that he's got a fantastic IQ. And he shot the world that night, and he showed more dimensions to his game. So going into this fight with Glover Teixeira, he's definitely the favourite. But the Brazilian has been on an absolutely fantastic run. I mean, he's well into his 40s, and it'd be an absolute fairy tale if he could somehow come up with the goods and beat this Polish champion. He'd be a massive underdog, but it is possible. He's beaten the likes of Thiago Santos. He's beaten 
some other great fighters. Nobody expected him to go on this run, but he has. And I think this fight could be one for the ages. Blahovic, yes, the favourite, but what a story it'd be if Texera can win this one. If a challenger wins a world title, would it be up there with the best UFC stories of all time? It'd be an absolute fairy tale, Rob. Yes, we've had the likes of Michael Bisping winning world titles. We've had recently Charles Oliveira win a world title. But at the age Glover Texera is at now, and everybody thought he was completely finished before he went on this fantastic run. I think it would be an amazing story. I think UFC fans all have Glover Texera in the heart of the legendary stuff he's done in the sport. And what an amazing end to the story it would be if he was able to win a world title. Would that help sort of UFC break through to the sort of the mainstream sporting fans who, who kind of sort of drift in and out of sport? Do you think a win there would propel the sport forward? Most definitely. I mean, the Brazilians love a fight, don't they? And if Glover Tixera can become their latest world champion, it'd be massive for the sport. And I think we always connect as humans to these amazing feel-good stories, don't they? And if you mm. see two fighters in the prime of the career going at it, if you're not massively into the UFC, sometimes you won't pay interest. But you've got this man in his 40s who's gone through so many hardships, so many tough fights. And if he could win, it'd be such an amazing story. He's such a nice guy, and people gravitate towards that. So, yeah, it is the sort of fight that would make people gravitate to the sport, Rob. Prediction time, James. Who comes out victorious? I like both men, Rob, as people. I think they're both great personalities for the sport. And it'd be an absolutely amazing story if Glover Teixeira could get the win. But for me, Jan Blachowicz is in the prime of his career. He hits so hard. And Teixeira, I mean, he's got to roll back the years in this. He's got to come at his best. But I think Pahovic's power is going to be too much and I expect the champion to retain his belt. There's a great co-main event as well. Uh, talk us through that. Petty Yan versus Corey Sandhagen for the interim bantamweight championship of the world. We're all looking forward to a rematch between Yan and the current champion, Aljamain Sterling. Of course, most will remember their last fight. Sterling was absolutely battered throughout until Petty Yan made a silly decision, hit him with an illegal knee and got himself disqualified. I think he's in a good matchup here for the interim champion with with Aljamain Sterling being injured. And Corey Sanhagen, yes, coming off a loss against TJ Dillashaw, but a lot of people think he won that fight. And I think stylistically, he can cause a lot of problems for Petty Yan. But I think the Russian is the rightful champion, and I think he gets the job done. How do they distinguish between a co-main event and a main event? It's difficult. I mean, sometimes it comes down to who brings in more money. Mm. And other times it doesn't. I mean, for example, there's we're, there's a card we're about to talk about on December the 11th. In fact, a couple of weeks back at UFC 266, Nick Diaz returned to the spot, and he's one of the biggest names in the history of the promotion of the UFC. And he was the he, he wasn't even the co-main event. He was the slot below because he isn't holding a world title. But yeah, he brings in far more eyeballs than the world championship fight that was going on. Mm. Nowadays, ESPN want that to be a title fight headline in the bill. But I don't think that's necessarily the right decision because a lot of the time people tune in for these idols of theirs, even if they're not fighting for world titles. So that's not usually how it's done. It's usually the world title fights top the bell. But for me, that's not, not always the right business decision, Rob, because I think you can generate way more coming from these idols, these goats of the game. Is there any other fights on the card we should look forward to? 
Yeah, there is, Rob. It's a great card all in all. I mean, I can talk you through some of them now. First of all, we've got Islam Makachev versus Dan Hooker. And Makachev, a Khabib prodigy coming out of that Dagestani wrestling camp. He's looking exceptional. Only one loss on the record. And he's been absolutely dominant since then. He's taken on the toughest opponent of his career today in Dan Hooker. Somebody he won only a few weeks ago. And for those following the news, to get out of Australia and New Zealand right now is extremely difficult. And Dan Hooker decided against travelling home a few weeks ago and having to stay in one of those quarantine hotels. He's just going to stay in Las Vegas and he's going to take another fight and, you know, maybe kill two birds with one stone in one training camp, two paydays. Everybody sees him as a as a warrior, not necessarily somebody who's going to go on to become a UFC world champion, but somebody who loves the game, somebody who loves to fight and somebody who's deeply respected by the fight game. We've got a good heavyweight matchup between Alexander Volkov and Marcin Tybora. I probably favour Tybora in that one. Then Lee Jingliang is taking on the returning Kamzat Shimeyev. And he had so much hype behind him before he uh, before he ended up getting COVID-19, which really took it out of him. But he's back now, expecting to get a win here. Then expecting to call out people in the top five, because I think he's ready for that already, Rob. The UFC have announced a Christmas cracker of a card on the 11th of December. Tell us about that. They have, Rob. I mean, there's three fights on this one. First of all, Charles Oliveira defends his lightweight championship against Dustin Poirier in a fight that everybody's looking forward to. The Diamond Poirier, of course, coming off a massive win against Conor McGregor. And he's the player in the UFC that more than anybody else deserves to win a championship belt. So everybody's hoping he can end that fairy tale story. In the co-main event, Amanda Nunes, the greatest women's fighter of all time, defending against Juliana Pena. As she looks to continue her historic run throughout the UFC. And lastly, Leon Edwards, probably the biggest name right now in British MMA. He's taken on Jorge Masvidal. And if he wins that, he'll get an opportunity to fight for the welterweight world title and become only the second ever British fighter to wear UFC gold. And it's a massive one, this. Not only because Masvidal is a huge name in the sport, but also because a few years ago, they shared a main and co-main event on a bill in London. They both got victories. And then after that, they ended up fighting backstage. And Leon Edwards ended up getting cut open by Masvidal. So now it's time for Edwards to shed the record straight. And I'm really looking forward to this card. Yeah, I suppose it's one of them that really excites you with the UFC, you know, when there's a bit of a needle involved. Oh, most certainly. I mean, there's needle. And then some people argue that it can be, for the cameras, that it's just fake beef to, to sell the fight to, you know, the punters. Hmm. This one isn't like that, Rob. Jorge Masvidal punched Leon Edwards in the face backstage. <laughs> there's real beef between these two. And surely that even gets you invested. You've got a Brit and an American, and the American has punched the Brit in what essentially was an assault. It's like an international incident, really. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's the thing that you kind of you, you sell, uh, you know, drama, don't you? And, and, and any sport, especially with the sort of UFC, it puts bums on seats, it puts subscriptions on your TV deals. And I think it's important, obviously, sport has that drama because it's a bit, it can get a bit sanitized sport. So you do need that uh, bit of uh, drama, a bit of story behind it to make it worth it. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, the drama sells it, doesn't it? And in this fight, you know the drama's real, which makes it even more impressive. But Rob, now moving on to the world of football, Manchester United have got a massive game. They're away at Tottenham. Are they going to win this one? It could be a tough test, uh, James. Uh, Man United's away form. Uh, we lost uh, the 
the 42 game run, I think it was recently, uh, losing to Leicester. So we need to get back on that horse. Uh, Tottenham will be a tough side, especially in their new stadium. You've got the likes of uh, Harry Kane as well, who's who's score, started scoring recently as well, which is going to be a problem. But I've got I've got a good feeling about this game. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's men uh, do, do know what they need to do. They need to keep winning uh, to keep them in touch with the top sides because that's what it's all about, James. It's about staying in and around the top until you get to February, March time, because that is when titles are won and lost. If you're in the mix at that point, that's that's when you find a second gear and you find a third gear. The Ferguson years, that's what Manchester United did. They, they got to February, March time, and then they, they started to stride away from the pack. And I think it's so important that this team under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer are in the mix because we, we can't deny the class in this team. There is stars all over it. They've got some definitely goal scorers involved as well. Defence is a bit creaky. Midfield can be a bit creaky. So as long as we are in touch come February, March time, uh, we're in with a bit of a shout. But it is important you go to teams like Tottenham who are also in the mix and get a result because they'll be thinking exactly the same with Manchester United coming uh, to town. This is a game we need to win psychologically. So it will be a fascinating encounter. What do you think? I think it'll be a very exciting encounter, Rob. I think Tottenham are a good side, even though they're not performing massively well in the league. But it's still a tough game for Manchester United and one that maybe they're the underdogs in. But Rob, something I need to ask you about is a couple of months ago when Manchester United had an absolutely exceptional transfer window, maybe the best of all time, bringing back the fantastic Cristiano Ronaldo, bringing back the dynamic Jadon Sancho and also bringing in a World Cup winner in Varane. A fantastic transfer window. And I can't stress that enough. Many people were expecting them to potentially maybe even challenge for the Premier League, thinking this is the year back. And it hasn't worked out like that. We had a good start to the season, but we've dropped off. And as of right now, where are you expecting us to, to end up? I mean, are we going to be in the top four? Can we still challenge for the league? I don't think we can, James. I'm thinking Manchester United are fifth, sixth place at best. There's a lot of good teams, uh, the likes of Liverpool, City, Chelsea. Uh, there's teams there who have quality running throughout. They have quality in reserve as well and they have players in positions that can make a difference. We know what the problems are at Manchester United. We talk about it on this show every week. So until we address them problems, we're going to continue to drop off and finish kind of fifth and sixth in the league. Yeah, it was great bringing Cristiano Ronaldo back and it was great putting uh, Verani in defence. Great for Sancho as well on the wing. Plenty of goals in, in, in his cell. Problem is we need a defensive midfield, James. And is is the problem with Manchester United that there's not a defensive midfielder out there that's going to sell shirts? It doesn't have to sell shirts. He needs to shield that defence. That's his job. And it, it will interest me to see what happens come January in the transfer window, whether Oli gets an opportunity to find someone. And if it doesn't happen in January, it's got to happen in the off-season next season. You've got to find a, a midfielder who can hold and break play up, maybe like a Kante at Chelsea. I know he's coming towards the end of his contract at Chelsea. Uh, it would cost Manchester United mega millions unless they can get him on a, on a free at the end of his contract. But he's the kind of player that would take Manchester United to that next level. Yeah, he's a great player. And I think he's probably better than Fred. Well, most definitely better than Fred. <laughs> and uh, I'm better than Fred. Probably more... <laughs> well, you can do a job in yeah. central defensive midfield, Rob. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, Nemanja Matic... Uh, 
I think Matic is a very good player, but I think he's only really got a good 20 minutes in him, mm. to be fair. So bringing in somebody like Akanta, I mean, I think he'd be fantastic. And if we can get him on a free, that'd be amazing. But is he going to solve all our problems, Rob? I mean, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, we all want to believe in him because he's a club legend. But is he getting more opportunities because he's a club legend? I think he probably is, James. I think also the problem with Man United is they, they try and play the, play the ball out and we haven't got the players to do that. And until you fix that situation, it, we can't. We continue uh, to to make mistakes. If we look back at the, the Leicester game, their first goal, Maguire starts to try and play out from the back and gets caught and they score. There's lots of examples over the last two seasons where Manchester United's back six aren't able to play a good enough football to get out of trouble. The likes of Man City can, the likes of Liverpool can, Players are comfortable on the ball. People talk about Ollie's style of play and sort of giving up possession. It's kind of counter-attacking football. Well, the likes of Liverpool and um, City keep the ball, James. That's the important thing. They're able to recycle the ball and they're able to play. And teams eventually run out of steam because they're chasing shadows for 80 minutes. And Manchester United try it differently. And I think if, if we're thinking, is you know, is this the end for Ollie? It's either a change of tactic or it might be. I don't like you to say that, Rob, even though I know it's very realistic and I know that the calls are coming and all his head is on the chopping block, but I still want to believe in him. He's a club legend. We all love him, don't we? And mm. how sad would it be if we do have to part from Ollie? It would be sad, James. But the reason it is, if it does happen, it's because the manager always gets the first, gets kicked first. And it's always the easy option because you kick the manager. You bring sort of a new manager in and then you throw him some money, a little bit of money, just to try and make it happen. But we need we need more than just a little bit of investment in this in this team. You need players who can play in that area. And, you know, I do worry about the direction of, of, of travel uh, that we're, we're getting these players who aren't sort of the complete Man United player. Yeah, I mean, who is more to blame? Is it Ollie or is it the players on the pitch? <sighs> question uh, you could say players but he's he he sets up the team to have sort of five attacking players and if you're Fred and Matic or McTominay in that midfield you know you're overrun you haven't got the bodies to to, to sort of shield that defense does all he need to change his ways and maybe look about dropping a Pogba or a Bruno Fernandez uh, to to make the team more balanced. That's the that's the big thing, but that's a big call as well because uh, if you drop Paul Pogba from this Man United team, you make news at ten. You do, don't you? I mean, it's not it's difficult, isn't it? Because Pogba can sometimes have a negative impact on the scene, despite being an unbelievably talented football player. But it doesn't go down well, and it's definitely not going to affect Pogba's eager very well. <laughs> Not at all, James. Not at all. Because I think obviously with Paul Pogba, he is world class. But if you're if you're uh, only going to soldier, you've got to think about your team and how it functions. And and does Paul Pogba fit into this uh, this uh, structure and this engine? I'm not quite sure. Bruno Fernandez is another one. Loves going forward. Coming back doesn't doesn't quite look like running backwards. And that's a big problem with Manchester United because teams know that and they will try and outrun them. They will. I mean, 
Are we lacking a bit of pace in that defence, do you think, Rob? Do you think we could do to inject a little bit more in? And even the central defensive midfielders that we've got, I mean, Matic, of course, definitely not renowned for his pace. No, no, we we get we got overrun, James. It's going to be very interesting uh, to to see what happens, and you know you're hoping Oli gets an opportunity to get some more players in, but he does need big money, and you kind of hoping he gets it over either the Christmas or, or the end of uh, end of season transfers. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the show now, so let's talk about Man City. They are away at West Ham. Opportunity for a win there for City. Yeah, a massive opportunity to get a result here, Rob. Obviously, West Ham, not the easiest place to travel to away from home. Those fans are absolutely raucous, aren't they? Maybe the best set in the country. But Manchester City, a higher quality side, and it's a good opportunity to qualify for the quarterfinals of the League Cup. But West Ham are going to be going for it. It's a massive competition for them. Probably means more to them than it just for Manchester City, who have their main focus on the league and on the Champions League as well. So it's a bit of a banana scheme, but I still expect Manchester City to get the win there. And then in terms of the league, at the weekend, they're playing host to Crystal Palace in a game that they should win. Yeah, Crystal Palace, always a tough side. Uh, Saha, he'll be dangerous. Yeah, he most certainly will. He's a tough player to keep out of the box and scoring goals when he's at his best, Saha. And then moving on to Salford, we've got a game at home to Exeter in the league. And then we're taking on the Leeds under-21s in the Football League trophy. And there's nothing like the magic of the cup. Yeah, it's, you can say that, James. Uh, big opportunity for Salford, obviously. A lot of uh, talk about the future, uh, sort of moving to the AJ Bell Stadium. I think it's important, obviously, Salford City keep winning, keep putting the performances in, James, because we we're, we look at this and we, and we need our top uh, sort of top teams playing really well. With a minute to go, James, it's really kind of important that Salford City you know, continue to win and get forward and uh, hopefully continue to ruffle some feathers. Yeah, I mean, they're not having the greatest of season, are they? I predicted that maybe they could even go up to League One at some point, and they've definitely not shown potential to do that. But I think they will. It's just a building bridge of a few seasons, I think. And lastly, Rob, just to question you out of curiosity, okay. what do you make of Salford City coming into your beloved Salford Red Devils' <laughs> ground? Yeah, I suppose with with Salford City and and Sale looking to get together to move the AJ Bell Stadium um, is is a big thing, obviously. It's 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 important that the team in Salford continue to play at the stadium because it was sort of uh, made for the people of Salford. So it's good, I think, the people you know, City of Salford City have the opportunity to play there, and hopefully will continue to play there for years and years to come. Big thanks for tuning in uh, to this week's show on Salford City Radio. I've been on Parkson, and we we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.